Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Early, uh, earlier this week, uh, it was evening time in the Evans house, and we were just sort of hanging around in the kitchen, and Ben was, Ben's my youngest, he's nine, he was sitting at the kitchen table looking through um, a magazine, and the particular part of this magazine he was looking, w- looking through was this, this three-page advertisement about luxury cruise trips cruise trips, luxury cruise trips. And, and Ben started reading to me about some of the trips available, implying not so subtly that it would be great if the Evans family, you know, goes on one of these trips in the near future. Uh, one of the trips was to Greece. One of the trips was to like the Galapagos Islands. One of the trips was to Antarctica. Didn't know that luxury cruise trips went to Antarctica. There's penguins and scientists, I guess you can have fun there with them. But, um, there's a trip there, and supposedly it's luxurious. And, and, you know, we had a discussion about how great it would be to be able to go on one of these trips. And, and we imagined together just for a moment, you know, what, and trust me, we just imagined, you know, what it would look like as uh, we looked at just these immaculate pictures and these incredible resort locations in the photos. Well, except for the, the Antarctica trip. Um, but, but to state the obvious, looking at pictures of a luxury cruise vacation doesn't even begin to compare, does it, with the actual experience of going on a cruise like that. The two are entirely different things. What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? If you've believed in Jesus Christ and call yourself a Christian, if you've had your sins forgiven and and come into the kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit ministers to you by making the work of Jesus real to you, by making the work of Jesus meaningful to you. The Holy Spirit, he helps us experience. He helps us experience Jesus's love, not just intellectually, not just to mechanically consider Jesus's love, but to experience the reality that we are God's children. Uh, the reality that we read about in verses like Romans 8, 15, and 16. Dane Ortland has written a wonderful book called Gentle and Lowly, and he summarizes the idea I want to communicate to you this morning well. Listen to what he writes. The Spirit's role is to turn our postcard apprehension of Christ's great heart of longing affection for us into an experience of sitting on the beach in a lawn chair, drink in hand, enjoying the actual experience. Does that sound like your Christian life? And, and if it doesn't, does it sound like something you want to experience, you want to know, you want to have a feel for in your Christian life? If that's something you desire as a follower of Jesus, then you need the Holy Spirit. You need the ministry of sonship and adoption that the Spirit brings. As I mentioned, this is the third of our four-part series on the Spirit. We've seen that the Spirit's main role is to continue the ministry and mission of Jesus Christ in our lives. Last week, we looked at the idea of being Spirit-filled. We saw that a, a full, joyful Christian life involves being filled with the Spirit. 
worshiping together, living a life of gratitude, mutually submitting to one another. And today, we look at the work of the Spirit in reminding us, helping us to experience the reality that we are sons and daughters, children of God. In a sense, this is a follow-up to the first sermon in the series. The The Spirit continues the work of Jesus in us. And because Jesus is not physically present with us, the Holy Spirit comes and he enlivens our hearts and our minds to the reality of who Jesus is and to all that Jesus has done for us in the gospel. The Spirit empowers us to experience the deep, deep love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. So today, listen, listen, today the Holy Spirit wants to awaken our hearts to the freedom of the gospel again. Maybe to the freedom of the gospel for the first time. These are precious verses. Precious verses from Romans 8. And they can be used by God to awaken you to a fuller, more joyful life. That's what I prayed for for us this week. So if you this morning are living in fear of condemnation... If you have a deep sense of guilt and shame over your own shortcomings and failures, listen, the Holy Spirit wants to awaken you to your freedom. If you feel distant from God and that he is hidden from you, the Holy Spirit wants to awaken you to the intimacy we share with our Father. If you feel alone this morning, if you feel like you're an outsider always looking in from the outside, wandering aimlessly with no real sense of purpose. The Holy Spirit wants to awaken you to your status. If you've connected to Jesus Christ, you are an adopted child of God and he's going to take care of you. So I want to show you three aspects of the work of the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship. Let's look together. The first thing that the spirit does, according to Paul in Romans 8, is he frees us from slavery to fear. The Spirit frees us from slavery to fear. Look in verse 15. We read, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received, on the other hand, the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. So Paul, under the influence of the Spirit, is setting up a clear contrast here, isn't he? He's saying before we became Christians, before we were given the Holy Spirit, our lives consisted of what he calls the spirit of slavery, bondage, bondage to what? He says slavery, bondage to fear. But after we come to faith in Jesus Christ, after we hear about his love for us and his death and resurrection, after we receive in faith the news that our guilt is taken away forever, we're given the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit casts out fear. Paul writes elsewhere that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So what is it that we're afraid of? Before the Spirit comes to us. What is it that we're afraid of before the Spirit comes to us? You know, whether we realize it or not, the main thing that we have to fear in life is condemnation. Condemnation. We are all afraid before we come to Christ and often even after we come to Christ that we are going to be found out. 
a London periodical newspaper about 100 years ago uh, conducted a, a social experiment of sorts, um, kind of a mean experiment, as you'll hear. As some of the editors worked in this newspaper on an article about the human condition, what people are like, they sent the editors of this paper an anonymous notes to 10 of the wealthiest people in London. And the note to all 10 people simply read this, flee, all is revealed. Flee, all is revealed. And within 48 hours, seven of the 10 people had left the country. All of us, all of us are afraid that we're going to get caught, that we're going to be exposed, that we're going to be judged, that we're going to be found out. And listen, the reality is we are all exposed. We are all found out before God, our judge. There's nothing that we do or say or think that escapes God's omnipotent gaze. David in Psalm 139 says, you have searched me and known me, Lord. But listen, the gospel is that God has already judged all of our sins in Jesus Christ, his son. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So our guilt is removed. Our law-breaking status is cast away from us as far as the east is from the west, as the Psalms tell us. Paul tells us in Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit comes and reminds us that even though we are guilty, even though we have hidden things, even though in some ways we still don't want to be found out, Jesus Christ has cleansed us of all of our sins. But we can forget this. That's why Paul says he doesn't want us to fall back, to fall back into fear. It's possible for believers to stop living in the reality of our freedom from fear. It's possible for us to fall back into it. Some of you may be in it right now. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to come and remind us, to speak to us to minister to us, to encourage us, to awaken us to the truth again that we are free. We don't need to be afraid. One of the best illustrations of this is another story in the Bible, a story that Jesus tells, the story of the prodigal son. You might have heard the story. The the younger son takes his father's inheritance and goes and blows it in reckless living and finally comes to his senses and decides he's going to go back to his dad's house and try and get back in with his father and with his family. And and Jesus, as he's telling the story, says that as the younger son is on his way home, walking on the road, he's, he's, as it were, rehearsing to himself internally the message he's going to give his dad. And he's saying to his dad, Okay, there's no way he's going to let me back in the house, but, but maybe I can be one of his servants because being one of dad's servants is going to be better than trying to eat out of the pig trough, which is what I was doing at this time yesterday. So let me try and grovel before my dad and maybe dad will receive me back. And so he's worked up his story, walking back to his house, but before he can get a single word out, what does his dad do? He runs out to meet him. And Jewish men don't run, but he runs. He hikes up his 
robe and sprints to his son and receives him before his son can even begin to say, dad, I know I've ruined things and I'm afraid that you're not going to receive me at all, but can I at least be one of your slaves? The, The father wants no part of that. He won't hear it at all. Why? Because God doesn't want servants. He wants sons and daughters, which is why he invites us into his family. And he invites us out of fear. The Holy Spirit takes that reality and and impresses it upon our hearts. And and he asks you even now, are you falling back into bondage to fear? How would you know if that's the case in your life? You know, there's a lot of ways. I'll just tell you one. You know you're still living in fear of condemnation if you hide sins and don't confess them. Why would you hide sin and and walk in the darkness? Because you're afraid of being found out. You're worried what others will think. You want to present an image of yourself that is simply not true. The image you want to present is that you measure up, that you're doing well, that you've overcome. No, no, no. Perfect love casts out fear. So rest in Jesus's love, confess your sins and receive his pardon. You also know you're still living in fear if your heart is not drawn to God as father, but instead cringes at the thought of God. You think of him as your master and judge only. That's what Paul tells us secondly. First thing the Spirit does is free us from slavery to fear. The second thing the Spirit does is grant us intimacy with our father. Look at verse 15 again. Paul continues, you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom the spirit, by whom we cry, Abba, father. So the spirit given to us by the father helps us experience the reality of our adoption by God. We are his children, his sons and daughters. He is our loving father. And what that creates is intimacy. It creates a loving, close, connected relationship between us and God. The blood of Jesus cleanses us and the cross of Jesus removes the animosity that existed between us and God due to our rebellion. And so what exists now is a relationship of pure, unadulterated, adoring love. The Spirit, we read, enables us to cry, Abba, Father. That is an amazing phrase. Amazing. It's it's amazing, first of all, because that word there, cry, is a super, super strong word. The, The verb actually expresses a loud, emotional cry. So what Paul's saying is that the Spirit helps our spirits loudly cry out to God. What do we cry? Abba, Abba. It's hard for us to grasp how shocking this would have been to a first century Jewish person. Uh, Jews did not even say the name of God because of reverence and fear. In fact, to this day, we're not exactly sure how to render the Hebrew name of God. And the reason that we don't know exactly how to render it is because the Masoretic scribes from whom we receive what is now our Old Testament would not even write out the entire name of God due to reverence 
and fear. But then Jesus comes along and regularly refers to God as Father, as, as Abba. And Abba, in case you don't know, is in the Jewish culture, it's an everyday word. It's a homely family word. Um, it's a word of intimacy. And, and in fact, one prestigious Bible scholar has done all sorts of research on this and has proven that in the vast majority of instances where Jesus references God, that's the word he uses, the word Abba. In fact, the only instance we can be sure that Jesus does not refer to his father as Abba is when he's on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isn't it interesting that Paul, writing in Greek, to a Greek-speaking people here uses an Aramaic word without translating it, the word Abba. Why would he do that? Tim Keller, pastor in New York, makes a wonderful point here. He, he argues that the word Abba is, is getting at a universal truth. It's getting at this idea that in every language and culture, and if you're a parent, you know this. When kids first begin to reach out for their mom uh, or for their dad or for, or for grandmother or, or grandfather, and the child begins to say the name, you know, they don't have teeth yet. So you can't say a name that requires teeth. So grandmas or moms aren't tata, right? It's mama. It's dada. It's abba. It's abba. This is a universal word that refers to the primordial desire that every single human has to reach out for someone and be cared for, to reach out for their Abba. What they're looking for, what we're all looking for is someone who loves us perfectly and who will love us no matter what. Someone who is completely powerful and will never let us down. That's what children are looking for in their parents. The bad news is every parent lets down Every child. Uh, your parents let you down, you let down your children, and your children will let down and fail their children. But our heavenly Abba never fails us. He never lets us down. And the Holy Spirit helps us believe and see and feel this. I went to see uh, Will and Lauren this week to meet little baby Joy and... Uh, I think I even said to Lauren, gosh, they're so small. It's been a while since I've seen a newborn. And, and there's nothing like, is there, there, there's nothing like the way a newborn baby holds its mom. Five-year-olds don't do that anymore. Twelve-year-olds for sure don't do that anymore, right? Uh, but newborn babies hold their mom or their dad or grandmother or granddad with just a sense of complete and absolute dependence. That's the picture that the scriptures are painting for us here. The Holy Spirit helps us to hold on to our Abba Father with all the intimacy and dependence with which a little baby grabs hold of mom and dad with absolute trust. How do you experience God? The answer to that question, how you experience God, is very commonly couched in how we experienced our own fathers. Not to go into a therapy session here, but many of us have daddy issues, don't we? Our dads might have been distant. Our dads might have been taskmasters. 
Our dads were not available to us. Our dads let us down. And for many of us, um, sadness that might even be bordering on bitterness or what the heck, full-fledged bitterness has crept into our hearts and has affected our relationship with God. But the Holy Spirit can change that, you see. He helps us really trust that we have a father who won't let us down, that we have a father who will always be there. The Holy Spirit releases us from the failures of our earthly fathers and says to us, if you come to Jesus Christ, if you come to Jesus Christ holding empty hands of faith, God will change your experience of God. God will change your experience of God. Only God can do that. The Holy Spirit tells us that there's now no barrier to God for us. We have real intimacy with him and intimacy that is characterized by crying out to him, Abba, Father, and knowing that he won't let us go. The Holy Spirit frees us from slavery, slavery to fear. The Holy Spirit gives us intimacy with God. And last thing, the Holy Spirit assures us. He assures us of our adoption. Look at verse 16. We've already touched on this idea, right, in both of our prior points, but verse 16 sort of like italicizes the reality of this for us. Here we read, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Sometimes, maybe very often, maybe very often for a lot of us, we just can't really believe that we're God's children. We, we just really can't believe <laughs> that we're really that loved by anyone, much less the Lord of the universe. Or, or maybe we do believe it, but it's an articulated belief, not an experienced belief. Our belief might be sincere, it might be true, but it's only articulated. We, we, we read the words on paper in our Bible. We hear the sermons of the pastor. We might even pray to God each and every day, but we don't have a transformative, love-soaked experience of our sonship, of his fatherhood. We know the doctrine, but we lack the experience. We know the doctrine, but we lack the experience. What, what we don't have is assurance. Think about it. It's one thing as a child to be told that your dad loves you right? You might even believe him. You may take him at his word, but it's another thing, a much more real thing to be swept up in his embrace, to feel the warmth of his skin, to hear the beating of his heart, to know the protective grip of his arms, to be shown his love, to feel his love. If your experience as a Christian is only something you can articulate and not something you can, for lack of a better word, feel, you need the Holy Spirit to do what verse 16 says he will do. You need him to testify to you. I love the word there, himself. Stick with me. Paul says the Holy Spirit himself testifies. When we don't have an experience of our sonship, when we doubt we're really adopted by our father, the Holy Spirit himself comes down and bears witness to us. God himself comes to us and helps us experience his love. Here's how Ray Ortland puts it. I love how he says, the spirit of God so values downward mobility that he doesn't mind moving into the dilapidated neighborhood called us. 
The Holy Spirit so values downward mobility that he doesn't mind moving into the dilapidated neighborhood called us. The Spirit's interest in us could not be more sincere. It could not be more genuine. So the Spirit himself comes and bears witness to our hearts. That word bears witness, that's a, a courtroom term, right? The, the image is, is as if, you know, you've seen these in courtroom dramas, I'm sure. A trial's gone on for some time. And then at the last minute, the defense calls a star witness, a surprise witness. And this witness provides new testimony. He reveals new facts of the case that completely changes the way that the jury sees things. It changes the course of the trial entirely. And everyone is persuaded. That's the idea. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Don't we feel like orphans so often? Don't we feel like orphans? If you're an orphan, out on your own, I mean, there's a lot to be afraid of. Orphans never know where their next meal's coming from. They never feel protected. They never feel cared for. Ne- they never feel safe. Uh, Russell Moore has written a book about adoption called Adopted for Life. And he tells a story at the beginning of that book about him adopting their two sons from an orphanage in Russia. And as he tells the story... The thing he recalls most vividly is when he and his wife walked into this Russian orphanage and there were children, babies in cribs everywhere, but there was no sound at all. No crying out. Why? Because these children had learned, even in their cribs, that when they cried, no one was going to answer. And so they remained silent. What a picture of how our world so often is. But the Holy Spirit comes and reminds us that we are not orphans. We have a father. We have a home. We have someone who cares. We have someone who listens. We have someone who will always be there for us. This is a profound experience of assurance that the Spirit brings. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced that kind of assurance? You can be a Christian for sure and not have had that experience. You can be a Christian and not have had this experience. And so I would invite you to pray for it, to ask the Spirit for it. Many have had this experience through the centuries. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples as we finish. Listen to uh, the great Puritan pastor, Richard Sibbs. You can read along with me. Here's what he wrote about his experience of the Spirit's assurance. Sometimes our spirits cannot stand under trials. Therefore, sometimes the immediate testimony of the Holy Spirit is necessary. It comes by saying, I am thy salvation. And our hearts are stirred up and comforted with joy inexpressible. This joy has degrees. Sometimes it is so clear and strong that we question nothing. Other times, doubts come back soon. The Spirit does not always witness to us by force of argument in our sanctification, but without his, excuse me, but directly by way of presence as the sight of a friend's presence comforts without his speaking at all. This witness weighs and overpowers the soul. One other example from C.S. Lewis in a letter he wrote to a friend in April of 1951. Listen to what Lewis wrote. During the past year, A great joy has befallen me. Difficult though it is, I shall try to explain this in words. Sometimes we believe that we believe what really in our hearts we do not believe. Let me repeat that. We believe that we believe what really in our hearts we do not believe. For a long time, I believed that I believed in the forgiveness of sins. 
But suddenly, on April 25th, this truth appeared to me in so clear a way that I perceived that I had never before believed with my whole heart. From mere intellectual acceptance of to realization of the doctrine that our sins are forgiven, that is the most blessed thing that has ever happened to me. How little they know of Christianity who think the story ends with conversion. I'd been a Christian for many years before I believed, before I really believed in the forgiveness of sins, or more strictly, before my theoretical belief became a reality to me. That is Romans 8, 16. The witness of the Spirit in our hearts that it is all true. Is that your experience of the Christian faith? Is that your experience of God? If it's not, then the Holy Spirit wants to minister that exact reality to you today. So ask him. Let's pray.